Um, but hey, has anybody seen the show? Guys, maybe. Have any of you guys seen the show, the Jack Ryan TV show series? Anybody seen that? Okay, you feel free to confess, guys. Like, I'm not, it's not a trap, right? So look, I've been watching it. I like it. I don't know what it is, but I think it's living in Cody, Wyoming. More and more, I like watching people get shot on TV. It's just super great. And I love spies and fighting the good guys. Like, as a kid, I was just like, like early 20s, just like romantic comedies was my thing. Now it's just like death. Um, so anyways, I've been watching. The, I watched the third season of the Jack Ryan series. It's super good. And there's a scene, though, I wanna, I'm going to bring up this scene because I want to use it, because I think it's kind of like us, where there's this Russian, you know, the Russians are always the bad guys. So there's this Russian ship, and it's in the Black Sea, uh, and there's an American ship, and they're kind of like in a little bit of a standoff, and this Russian ship is like, it's like the ship. It's got an arsenal, it's just got everything. And if I'm ruining this for somebody, I am so sorry, but you should, I just now realized, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, man. Basically, it could be any TV show because it's the same in every show. But these two, sh- these two ships are in a standoff, and the Russian ship is being threatening, all right? And the U.S. ship is responding as they should. Like, should we retaliate? Should we fight back? Should we throw the second fist? And, um, and so it's kind of this tense moment because if one fires and then the other responds, a war is going to begin, right? It's a Cold War mentality. And Jack Ryan is doing everything he can to keep that from happening. But the guy who's on the ship is doing the best he can. He's got 1,000 or 2,000 people on a ship that he's got to protect. And so uh, he is going through the arsenal that he has on his ship. What kind of defensive weapons does he have? What kind of attacking weapons does he have? And uh, so when they're sending out this radar out there and they see that there's Russian ship, they're going through all the things. They're getting ready. They're battening down the hatches. And they're ready to go to war. Does that make sense to you? You understand what I'm talking about? You see that? Okay, so here's what I'm, I'm telling you that because you guys are so much, uh, you can relate to the American ship. Every one of you in this room, you want peace, you want security, right? And what you do every day, kind of like I do, is when you go into rooms and you come into this room and you go to work and you go to these places, uh, you're constantly sending out radar signals. Am I right? You're sending them out and you're trying to figure out in your life, is there anything dangerous? Is there anything that could hurt me? Is there anything that could hurt my family? And sometimes it's people's opinions or maybe it's finance stuff and uh, whatever it is. But kind of like that Jack Ryan show, you're like the American ship, right? And there's kind of a tension in your life sometimes about what is coming your way. Like, hey, if the hot water heater goes out, am I going to be able to cover it? Hey, guys, it's still kind of fuzzy. You know what? Why don't I ask you back? We'll do this. Is that better? All right. Now crank me up. Let's do this. Let's see what happens. All right, I think that's going to be a little bit better. All right, so kind of like when a hot water heater goes out. Anybody ever had that before? And it's like, man, can I pay for it? Or when a transmission goes down, like I hate cars, all right, because of this. When the transmission goes down, what am I going to do? If I lose my job, how am I going to care for my family for the next three months? When my kids graduate college, who's going to pay for that? How's that, how are we going to take care of these things, right? There's a lot of things in our life that can create a tension, and we're sending out these radars. And we've talked about several different idols, and today we're talking about money. How sometimes we can make an idol of money and use money as like it's the weapon system. It's the defensive arsenal. And if I have this, then I will be okay. Then I will be safe. Then I could be at peace if I have just enough money. Am I right? Anybody feel that tension? Like, I felt it this week, if I'm being honest with you, and you don't have to be honest with me. But here's the reality, guys. Every one of you feels that tension, but I guarantee that almost every single one of you has never experienced true poverty, ever, okay? You may have felt what you feel like is poverty, but you've never felt true, dangerous, deathly poverty, where you are carrying your kids across a border with everything you own in your backpack and nothing else. No money, no connections, no food, no idea where you're going to live, and watching your family perish because they don't have enough. Like, none of us have ever felt that. Yet, isn't it true, the statistics show, we're some of the most anxious people when it comes to money. And our marriages, one of the top things to tear down marriages is money. 
we are filled, filled with anxiety. And even those in the room who, in, in this little subculture, those of us in this room who, you know, in our minds have enough, even that sometimes is one, a false security. And I have met billionaires who have not felt like it was enough, right? You ask, hey, how much is enough? And they go, just a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Every time you're like, oh, I got a, I got a little bit of a pay increase, and it just opens up a world of who else has more than you. Uh, one of the richest men who's ever lived, Solomon, says it like this in Proverbs 13.8. He says, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threats. What is Solomon saying? He's critiquing the hope that men place in money. He says, the rich man thinks that he is secure in his wealth, but lives in anxiety of losing it. But the poor man, he's got nothing. So when someone says, hey, I'm going to take your money, he goes, what money? Right? I don't hear no threats. And what he's saying is like, hey, money is a false hope. Solomon also says in Ecclesiastes 6, talking about how money is a false God, he says, a man uh, may have a hundred children. Can you imagine that? And live many years. Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun and knew anything, that stillborn child, it has more rest than that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place. Oof. Does that hit you? Solomon's comparing the, a, a rich man who's got so much wealth, has an incredibly long life, but just can't enjoy any of it. He's constantly wanting more and more and more and more. His focus is on that. And he says, listen, compared to his stillborn child, he had a worse life. Like that, like that hits me and goes, man, how am I rich in in God's eyes, but I'm yet, I'm not enjoying that. And so what it, what's the point of that? It tells me that, hey, money is good for buying things, but it is not a good God. It is not a good goal. It's not worth your life. And like all the idols in the Bible that are made of stone or glass or wood or paper, it's a dumb God. Literally, the Bible calls the idols dumb. And when it means dumb, it means you're stupid. It means literally it can't do anything. You can talk to your money. It won't talk back. And if you do, we're going to call you dumb, right? Or, like, or crazy, one or the other. So here's the thing. God, you guys, we have this morning, I want to talk about this because I really am starting to see, though I struggle with it deeply, along with all of you, I'm not standing up in a platform uh, up, on, up on my high horse. Humbly, I'm up here just so you can see me. But the reality is I'm with you. But what I'm seeing in Scripture, and we're going to read today in Matthew 6, is, man, God's got something so much better for us. Like, he cares about us more deeply than you care for yourself, and the culture cares for you and telling you what you need, right? And, and way more than your boss cares about you. And all the employees said, amen. Right? So this morning, we're going to be looking at the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 6. It's not me. I just want to... Look at what Jesus says about this. Jesus talked about money almost more than anything else that he talks about. Meaning what? It's kind of important, right? It has a huge hold in our life. Now, as we go into talking about this, let's just go into some assumptions I have, all right? And some assumptions you have. In this room right now, this room is split between two types of people. There's some of you in this room who are Christians. And praise God for that. And there's some of you who are not Christians. Praise God you're here. All of you are welcome. Here's my second assumption. My second assumption is that everyone in this room either has or will have money at some point. And my third assumption is that every single one of you struggles with how you relate to money and things in various degrees. Okay? Anybody assuming the same things as me? Okay? My, that's my assumption. And if my assumption is correct, it means that what we're going to talk about this morning in taking down the idol of money or mammon, as we're going to talk about it soon, uh, is extremely important. It is really important, guys, that we kill this thing. And we find out what is it that Jesus really wants for us in regards to money and things. How do we get that peace? How do we get that security? How do we have that life? Anybody interested? You want to go there with me? 
okay? You don't have to. Again, like I said, two doors, front, middle, or back, middle, get out of here. It'll be great. I don't mean that. I want you to be here. It's going to be great. All right, I'm going to break it down this way. All right, I'm just going to break down the message to give you a vision where we're going. Let me tell you where we're going before we go there. So here's how we're going to break it down. We're going to break it down in two major parts. The first part is this, serving God rather than mammon. Anybody use the word mammon this past week? No, so we're going to explain that. So point one is going to be where you store your treasure. Point two we're going to talk about is connected to the condition of your heart, which leads to point three, which is a result of who you serve, okay? Where you store your treasure is connected to the condition of your heart, which is the result of who you serve. That's serving God rather than mammon. Then in the second half of the message, we're going to talk about trusting God rather than worrying. And so we're going to talk about how the first half provides uh, either peace or anxiety. The condition of your heart and who you serve is either going to be the thing that leads to your peace or it's going to lead to your anxiety. So by the end, you're going to know which direction you want to go. All right? And I did not mean to make that rhyme, but that was pretty super dope. All right? So let's keep going. Where you store your treasure. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Let's do this together. You ready? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust uh, moth nor rust destroys, and where, uh, sorry, I read that totally wrong, but lay up yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, let's pause. This is Jesus talking, okay? He's talking on a mountain, and he's talking to a group of people, and Jesus makes a comparison here between two different treasure troves, and he gives two distinctions location, and lifespan. What are the two locations? Give me some feedback. Two locations. On in heaven and on, on earth. Good job. All right. What is the lifespan of the treasure trove that is on earth? What's the lifespan of that? It's kind of temporary, right? It could be stolen. It could deteriorate. Uh, it could be destroyed by moths. I've never had that happen, but I know it can. Um, but it basically, it's temporary. What is the lifespan of the treasure trove that is located in heaven? What's the lifespan? It's eternal. Yeah, that's right. It can't be destroyed. It can't be taken away. No one's going uh, uh, no to steal it. No one's going to destroy it. Moths can't get to it. Right? It's eternal. Now, the information right now is so clear and it's simple right now. You're with me. I know that. So whether you agree that there's a heaven and that there's going to be a a treasure or a reward in heaven is one thing. But on the other hand, I, I know that most of you would all agree that what Jesus says about the things of this world is absolutely true. Am I right? Okay. Uh, are you wearing the same sweater you wore when you were eight? No. Those things kind of wear out, right? Uh, my buddy Eric got some new boots. I'm not trying to put him in the spotlight, but the reason why is because the man uh, uses his boots, and they get worn out, and he's got to get new ones, right? Stuff here wears out. Everyone uh, agrees. It's the reason why we have that saying that there are no trailers in the graveyard, right? The only box in the graveyard is the one you're going to go in, and that's it. it. Sounds super harsh, but we all know it's true. We can't take anything beyond this life as far as we know, and so it all wears out at faith. So now Jesus could wrap this up right here when we go, that's great, I get it, that's wisdom, but he doesn't. And the reason why Jesus, friends, listen to me, this is really key. The reason why Jesus doesn't wrap it up just by saying, hey, don't put your hope in these things, they're going to fade. The reason why he's going to continue on is because Jesus, he knows the deeper things and he cares about the deeper things in your life. And when I'm saying the deeper things, what I mean is Jesus cares about your heart. And so what he says next is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he's going to this because he cares more about you then he cares about what you're doing with this treasure. He wants to see something different in you. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is making another simple connection between those two treasure troves and your heart. And, and he's saying that what you treasure has your heart. Does that make sense? Is that simple? What you treasure has your heart. Where your treasure is, there is your heart, whether it's in earthly things or whether it's in heaven. So this is really, if you stop, pause, contemplate this for a moment. 
has massive implications for your life because it affects every bit of your life. Let me give you a relatable example. Anybody here like guns? All right, good. I, they didn't vocalize, right, because they don't want their voice recorded on their phone and Big Gov gets it. I know how they, that's how they think. I'm just kidding. Right, so I, I just, that's just my young, you know, foolishness coming out, sorry. Uh, some of you like guns, right? I, I know this about why people have lived here. I like guns, right? My grandfather was a gunsmith, and he was president of a gun club. Here's what I know about gun people, right? You like guns. You buy guns. You collect guns. You like to shoot guns. You probably got a workbench somewhere in your house where you like to tinker and work on guns, right? You read books and forums and, and watch YouTube videos on guns. You have friends that like guns. You have a membership at a gun club, right? Your community of friends is a gun community. Am I right? Now, if I described a community like that, all right, and you met a person like that, where would you say their heart is? Right? Their heart is in guns. Now, it could be in any type of thing. Maybe it's fitness. Maybe anytime you come across a CrossFitter, right? Um, and so here's the thing. Now, does it mean, uh, when you see this kind of happen, there's a lot of time, money, and energy that is flowing out of a heart that is over with guns. Now, I want to be really clear that there are godly men and women who collect guns, shoot guns, like guns, have a workbench that's full of guns, has a membership at a gun club. It's not inherently evil. There are godly men and women who do that. But sometimes, guys, listen to me, and most of the time, it is an idol. It is something that we collect and we store up, we have trust and we have faith and we have peace and security in with those, that community. It is something that we do that. So now what is the difference? What's the difference between a man who's in the gun community that way, who's made it an idol, and a man who's in the gun community in the same way, but it's not an idol and that's not where his heart is? What's the difference? Well, it's actually connected to the condition of your heart, which I told you is point two. So let's look at the condition. Jesus talks about this. This is so good. Verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, this is super good, all right? The direct meaning of what Jesus is trying to say here can be kind of hard to grab. And I don't know if you guys have ever done this, all right? Um, husbands, has your, has your wife ever like read into what you're saying and she interpreted it something you weren't trying to say? Has that ever happened? Okay. Um, you do the same thing with scripture sometimes, right? I didn't try, I'm not trying to create some marriage fights, sorry. So don't nod too hard. Um, but the reality is, guys, we human beings, do we read into things sometimes? Anybody struggle with that? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, we all do. Hey, well, we do the same thing with Scripture. And so when we look at this, there are some things that we can insinuate that are generically true. But the question is, what is Jesus actually trying to say right here? Now, I think it's generally true that Jesus wants you and every disciple to put their eyes on heaven. To set your eyes on heaven, set your course towards heaven. And if you set your course towards heaven... Man, you're going to see the heavenly things along the way, and you're going to be transformed. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. You set your mind on worldly things. You think you're going to start being transformed in the image of the world? Yeah. I, but that's not exactly what Jesus is trying to say right here. All right? What Jesus is trying to say is actually connected uh, to not the eye's action, but the eye's status. It's not the action of the eye where it's looking. It's the actual status of the eye. Let me show you. In Jewish and Greek culture, a person's facial features or expression were commonly considered to be indicative of character or ethnic origin. The study of this is called physiognomy. Okay? Everybody give that a shot. Physiognomy. You guys are all budding physiognomists. I'm going to show you, okay? Okay, the first time we ever see this word physiognomy is actually in Greek culture. In the Greeks, ancient Greek physiognomists believe that the key to reading a person's, not what they're feeling, but their character was in their eyes. Listen to this. 
Okay? For instance, Cicero, who argues in a, a work that he wrote called De Atore, which is the, the orator, the speaker, he says that the eyes were critical for success in public speaking. He says everything depends on the countenance, while the countenance itself is dominated by the eyes. For delivery is wholly the concern of the feelings, and these are mirrored by the face and expressed by the eyes. Okay? Similarly, uh, Suetonius, who is sort of like the gossip writer of his day in the Greek world, uh, he described Tiberius this way. He said about Tiberius, who was an emperor, he said, his eyes were unusually large. <laughs> and strange to say, had the power of seeing even at night and in the dark, but only for a short time when first opened after sleep. Presently, they grew dim-sided again. Okay, so what is he doing? Suetonius is commenting on Tiberius's eyesight, but he's making insinuations about Tiberius's character. Now, here's the thing. You, you read that and you go, man, Suetonius is kind of weird. He's like, man, that guy had great eyesight. When he woke up, man, he could see in the dark. That's not what he's saying, right? That's really weird. How do you know that? Okay, what he's saying is Tiberius lately has become dim-eyed or dark-eyed, and he's talking about his character. There's something darkening about him. And, and you know this to be true, right? Inger and I, we talked about that. We joked about this with staff, about a person's eyes communicate, Right? Okay, when you meet Brad Taylor, his eyes are the things that are going to tell you that you can trust him and that he's kind and he's filled with generosity. Okay, but when I come at you like this with my giant eyebrows and they're like this, I'm like, hey man, what do you want? Like, what are you talking about, right? Can you feel that? Those of you who can see me, can you feel this? And I'm like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing, right? Which one did you trust, this one or the, hey, that one? You're laughing because you're like, wow, he's too good at this, right? Uh, which one do you trust? Have you ever met somebody who's just always, right? You go, man, there's something about their character. It's like in their eyes, there's a darkness about their eyes. Okay, you're, listen, you are budding physiognomists. You understand. So here's what you need to understand. What Suetonius was talking about with Tiberius, that he's growing dim-eyed, is really close to what Jesus is trying to say. Because what Jesus is saying is he says that the eyes were bad, and he's talking about eyes who are healthy. Now, what you need to know is, okay, uh, the word bad here is actually evil. So he's not saying, man, he didn't have 20-20 vision. He goes, no, he's got evil eyes. And you need to know that evil eye is an idiom. If you don't know what idiom is, I didn't either. I had to research it. It's like when I go out and I go, hey, man, it's raining cats and dogs. Are you going to think that there's dogs and cats falling to the ground? No. So in Jewish culture, if you said someone had an evil eye, they knew you weren't saying that their eyeball itself was an evil thing, right? No. What they actually meant was this. In Jewish culture, they believe when you said, oh, that guy's got an evil eye, they actually, what that meant was, oh, that guy is an envious and selfish person. And so to look at somebody's eyes where there's like where you can see in their eyes the, the weight of envy and selfishness on the human soul, and you can see in their character. And he's saying the eye that is bad is the one that it's got. Its, its eye is set on itself. You know what I'm saying? Envious and selfish and self-directed. That's the bad eye. Now, what's the opposite of that? What's a good eye? Not, a, not an eye that's envious, but an eye that is, like Brad's, generous. Right? Have you met a generous person? Do they look like this? No, they don't, right? And I'm working on that, all right? I'm trying. I'm in transition. When you meet a truly joyful and generous and other-focused person, right, it's very up and bright. Would you say bright, their eyes? Jesus knows that you understand this. And that's what he's saying to his audience, who he knows understands this. He's talking about the status of an eye, basically saying... Like I talked about, what is the point? The point was basically it's connected to the condition of the heart. It's the condition. The condition of the heart. Proverbs 22.9 says it like this. Whoever has a bountiful eye, this is, will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. There's so much wisdom in this. In Matthew 6, Jesus is using the term healthy. And that word healthy actually could also be translated simple, which I love that. Have you ever met somebody and, man, they're just not double-minded with you. When they're talking to you, they're about you. 
right? When I'm looking at you like this, and I'm talking, I'm sorry I keep doing this, all right? But when I'm doing this, you, when you meet somebody who's just very selfish and envious, you always think they got another angle, am I right? You don't want to do a business dealing with somebody like that. But when you meet somebody who's generous, right? Like my wife cannot sell our cars because she will give it to them for nothing. <laughs> nothing. Because my wife is incredibly generous, right? And I'm like, you sold it for what? We could have got 500 more, right? All right, so there's the difference. So my wife's like this and I'm like this. And so that, that's the idea, all right? And so here's, the, are you seeing the, paint, the picture that Jesus is painting? Jesus starts by talking about where you store your treasure. He says, is it on earth or is it in heaven? Then he says that whichever you choose is where your hearts are. And then verses 22 and 23, he reveals that the health of the individual is affected by the condition of their heart. So in other words, he says, if your heart is in heaven, your heart is healthy, which means what? We're talking about it's, it's simple, it's straightforward, it's generous, and it is full of light. Your whole body carries this light about you. Whereas if, you're, if your heart is set on earth and earthly things, then your heart is turned in on itself and, it, 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 and you are you're darkened and you are dim-eyed and you're focused on yourself and there's a darkness and it, and it kind of consumes you. You've seen this, right? Over years, I've got this big theory that a person who does that, that you see them hunch in their life. And I really do. Their body is affected. You got to know that spiritually, your body is going to, what's going on spiritually will affect your body and Jesus speaks into that. So, a picture is starting to form here, okay? And Jesus concludes it by saying, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And guys, what he's saying is, if the best generosity in your life is actually still envy, then how great is your envy? Like, if, if your best giving and serving of others, you're like touting about, yeah, see how I served them? See how I gave? He goes, okay, ultimately this is for you. What do you look like when you're legitimately selfish? Man, you are consumed by darkness. And your heart and your mind are all given to the earth, given to earthly things. And this now is a result of who you serve. You keeping with me? This wrecked me, man. It's a result of who you serve. So remember what I said. Where you store your heart is connected to your heart's condition, which is a result of who you serve. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, that word money is mammon. We're going to get to it in a minute. Now, you got to understand something here. When it's saying serve, it's not talking about employment. When it's talking about master, it's not talking about boss. You can have multiple bosses. You can have multiple employers. But the cultural context here is slavery. Okay? You cannot belong to two masters, all right? One commentator said it this way, single ownership and full-time service are the essence of slavery. A master has every right to call upon you when they want and you are to obey, right? So you can't have two masters who have the freedom to do that because then neither one have the freedom and it conflicts. And so that's what he's saying here. So but then when Jesus says, hey, you cannot serve God and money, he puts the two, right? Mammon as a God. The word mammon is a good choice. And here's what Jesus is saying. Mammon actually translates as trusted thing or that which one trusts. And that's why I like mammon. Now, he tra he, he, we tra uh, translate it as money, which works, right? Because do any of you kind of struggle with trusting in money for your security? We call them securities, right? Uh, yeah, we do. But sometimes we trust in, okay, public approval. We trust in guns and ammunition. We trust in whatever. Anything that you trust in that is not God, he says, that's mammon. And you cannot trust in that and trust in God. And he sets them up opposed to each other. Are you tracking what I'm saying? Okay? These oppose. And so you cannot serve both of them. So again, the question is, who do you serve? Who are you enslaved to? Who do you belong to? Do you belong to God? Or man, if you were just like, like guys, if we were to pause for a moment, 
and y'all were to sit with me, I was to sit down, and you'd come over, and you're just going to play a little 20 questions and ask me how I'm doing, you would find out that my, my heart gets, t- like, there are times where I'm trusting more in things, mammon, than I'm trusting in God. So to be honest with you, and so it's good for you to take this assessment. It's really actually difficult. Who do you serve? Who do you belong to? When I think about this, I actually imagine, have you ever seen those scenes in a movie where there's like, uh, like custody over a dog? You know what I mean? And there's like one guy on this side and there's a gal on this side and they're like, come here, baby, come here. And they're like screaming at this thing and shaking stuff, trying to get it to come to him. You know what I'm talking about? That is what I feel like this is basically saying. Look, you've got a choice. On one end, you have God. And you need to determine, is he trustworthy? And on the other hand, you have the world. And it's got all kinds of things that it's saying that you need. Am I right? All kinds of stuff. And is that where you want to go? Who do you belong to? But you need to understand, look, if I decide to go to the world, I go to mammon, and I trust in those things, can I go this way and at the same time go that way? No, I can't. It's simple. You see it? That is what Jesus is trying to communicate to you. You cannot go the way of God while simultaneously going the way of the world. You have to choose. Are you going to go this way or are you going to go that way? But you, get, you can't go both. Who do you belong to? It's really, really difficult. Standing in the in-between, I have to make a choice. Am I going to go this way? And that choice is continual, right? It's in the morning. It's on Sunday. It's on Monday. It's, uh, you know, it's on Wednesday when a bill hits that I didn't expect or whatever the case may be. It's, it's all the time. I was like, all right, God, do I trust in you or do I trust in this? Which, where am I going? Who do I belong to? All right? Which takes us to the second half of our message, which is trusting God rather than worrying. So let's go there. There's an assumption Jesus is making, and the assumption is for all of you that you want to go this way. All right? And this is the way of God. You want to go this way. So assuming that you want to go that way, assuming that all of you in this room think that God is more trustworthy than Apple or Tesla or Winchester or... American currency, or you name it, or people's opinions. It's getting a little hot again, uh, guys. If you might need to turn it down just a smidge. There we go. Thanks, y'all. Sorry. It's not their fault, y'all. We're still trying to figure this whole thing out. Those guys are wonderful. They're amazing. Praise God for them. Uh, But the idea is basically, do you trust this or do you trust this? And he's assuming that you want to trust God. Now, let's keep going. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I think this is really amazing. And if you really think about it, um, moving towards God. I know this about the faith. It doesn't say this in this passage. When I move towards God, what happens to a person as they move towards God? Jesus kind of says it. They become more filled with light, right? They become more generous. They become healthy-eyed, good-eyed right? Why is it that when a person moves towards God, they become more generous? Somebody tell me. Because God's generous. That's the right answer. So the reason why he expects you to want to move that way is because God is incredibly generous. If you're going to describe God, he is the picture of the eye that you want to be. Our God is a giving God. He's an other-focused God. He is the goodness of heaven. He is the definition of generosity. His mercy, his joy, and his grace are all examples of what you really want to be. And when you move towards him and you become like him and you learn about who God is, you find out more and more, oh, you're more and more trustworthy. You can take care of me. And so that's what makes sense. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. That's why he goes, therefore, if you head towards God, what in the wide world of sports do you have to worry about? What do you got to be anxious about? This God, he sees you, he knows your needs, he cares about you, and if you truly know God, you know that. And so Jesus is going to launch into three examples. He takes you to the birds. Anybody like birds? All right, you know, if you're older in here, you're probably a bird watcher, right? Maybe. Sounds very ageist. But my eyes are up, right? So I'm just generous. Okay. Jesus says, hey, look at the birds of the air. I mean, you guys have seen birds, right? He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
don't know about you, but I don't have time to feed birds. You got time? I ain't got no time to be feeding birds. I'm trying to feed my children. I ain't got time for that. And God is taking time to feed birds. Look, at he says, are you not more valuable than they? Your answer is supposed to, say, is supposed to be, of course I am. Everybody say, of course I am. You're more valuable than birds. When a bird gets hit by a car, it's not the same as when a child gets hit by a car in this community. It's not the same. You are worth more than birds. In which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And you're supposed to say, of course I can't. I can't add that. You know how fun? Think about how much time is wasted worrying about the time you're wasting. Think about how much time you waste worrying about things you can't control, worrying about money, worrying about all these things that God's saying, I care about. I care about birds. Don't you think I care about you? Jesus is talking very softly like a mother right here. And then he goes under the lilies and the grass. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have a little faith. He's not mad at you. He's like, hey, come on, guys. Like, look, Solomon would have been on the Forbes list, man. He's, like, he's the Elon Musk of our day, okay? That man, I guarantee you people were jealous of his wealth, jealous of his wisdom, and God's going, you think that guy looks good? You think the things that he has is nice? The bro's copy, copying my flowers. He's trying to get this color on his clothes, and he can't even touch it. And yet, if I'm going to give this kind of time to flowers that most of you, listen, man, I've been up in the mountains of the places where I go, I wonder if anybody's even seen these flowers, right? How many millions of flowers are up there in the big ones that we, no one ever sees? And yet, if God takes the time with that, he sees, he sees you, don't you think he wants to clothe you better than flowers? Especially flowers are going to be, they're going to be gone in, like, well, it's, it's bighorns, right? They're going to be gone in like six days. Right? And he goes, listen, I care about you so much more. It, this is really, it's supposed to be kind of like a, it's supposed to give you almost like this hilarious joy that your God cares about you like this. That's what it's supposed to give you. And what it's supposed to cause next in you, it, it makes the conclusion so obvious. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Where shall we live? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Man, anxiety is insanely powerful. Uh, when I was in college, I was a sophomore in college, and I um, ended up taking a class called the Psychology of Health and Wellness. It was a senior-level class meant for those who are going to be psychologists which I was not going to be. So imagine what that's like to be in a classroom full of, you know, you know, amateur psychologists, right? And you're not supposed to be there. Talk about anxiety. The teacher literally told me, hey, if you get out of here with a C, I'll be impressed. It's like, that's a great first day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so full of anxiety. So check this out. This, this is amazing. We studied for weeks and weeks and weeks the effects of anxiety on human health. You know what the conclusion we came to in that course in my undergrad class, the conclusion we came to is that the number one cause of death in America is anxiety, period. The reason you make choices that you make about what kind of food you're going to eat, whether it's that piece of cake, because you just had a long day. I just need some ice cream and cake, right? What, kind of, what you eat, how you handle your money, how you do all these things are all a result of the condition of your heart, which is connected to who you serve. And if spiritually speaking, and this was at a Christian school, if you are filled with peace, we found that those filled with peace float through the anxieties and uncontrollables of the world with a physical healthiness that the others don't have. I mean, that's amazing. How do we know that's true? Well, Jesus says in verse 22, if your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Man, the Christian, uh, when the status of the heart in them says, hey, I've got all I need. I'm good. I don't need that. All right? I'm married. I don't need that woman. Hey, God's provided my daily bread. I don't need that. I'm not worried. I'm not anxious. I, I spend more time enjoying my prosperity and worshiping the Lord than I do being anxious about what tomorrow might bring. You hear what I'm saying? 
Guys, this is why it's so valuable and important. You, everyone in this room, look, I know I'm on a stage. Some of you don't know me, but I know you. You're insanely anxious. You're taking it out on your kids. You're taking it out on your fridge. You're taking it out on yourself. And it's killing you. But the answer Jesus just gave you, he says it's found in him. God is your peace, and it's time that you test it. And he says in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you think you want, they're going to be added to you. What you need will be given to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its trouble. Now, Matthew 6.33, I've committed that to memory, and it's one that I share with a lot of people often because it is so incredibly good. What Jesus is basically saying is like, brother, hey, sister, listen. He's saying, run the kingdom race that I have for you. And hey, everything you're going to need along the way, don't worry about it. I got you. And if somehow you end up dying, listen, I got some better stuff on the other end of that. What does Paul say? To live is Christ. Why do we live our life to gain and die without Christ? When he's saying, man, to live is Christ and peace and physical health and brightness and eyes that are just like, ah, I just got, I'm about you. You're, I'm so excited to see you. You're like, why are you so other focused? Because, because behind the scenes, God has met my needs, and I know he's got me. And even if I'm starving and you decide to kill me for my faith on the underside of this death, I got even bigger stuff coming for me because my God's on the other side, and he's been my treasure forever. He's where my wealth is. Do you see the picture that Jesus is painting? He's painting that to set you free, and he's doing it to take this big, massive stake and stab it right into the heart of this false god, to chop it down. Now, I'm a guy who, yes, I talk a lot, okay, but I got my limits, and I've told this to a lot of people. You know when I'm done in the conversation with you, when I'm going, all right, what's our next steps? So let's talk about next steps. We painted a beautiful picture of what Jesus has. What can you now do to believe this better? I want to give you three things, all right? You ready? If you've got a pen, if you've got an iPhone with notes on it, write these down. If not, hey, who am I? So here we go. Look, here's number one. Number one is devote daily to a relationship with God. If the solve for your anxiety is God, then every single day devote daily to a relationship with him. Learn about him. Study him. Now, that, I don't know what, that comes, what comes to your mind when someone says quiet time or devote daily or whatever. So let me just tell you some things that have worked for me and worked for my friends. One of the things that works for me, okay, is to pick a time. Pick a time. How many of you guys struggle to make time to read your Bible? Anybody ever struggle with that? Ever? Okay. Oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. I'm not letting you get off on this one. Raise your hand. Every one of you go, ah, it's just too early. I don't have time. I got to get the kids. You know, we got sports, blah, blah, blah. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Your kids are not more valuable than your time with Jesus. My kids aren't. I have to get out of the room. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm spending time with Jesus. Oh, I'm like, no, go away. I'm going to be a better dad as soon as I'm done with this. All right? You know, so, hey, pick a time. Guard it like a banshee. Number two, pick a place. You know what's not a good place? Right, Mike? The dinner table. Bonnie's going to go, hey, so I want to talk to you. We've got to get the kids to this. I'm like, hey, I'm trying to read my Bible, right? And it's like an inadvertent fight over me trying to study and learn about Jesus, okay? The dinner table's not the place because all my kids are showing up. So for me, it probably is going to be our closet, you know what I mean? My bedroom, I've got a chair set up. I could sit in there and read. Pick a time, pick a place. That's going to help you, all right? I'm just, I'm just wisdom. I'm just pouring it out. It's free. You don't owe me anything. Number, number three is this. This is what I've learned is, guys, pray. Start your time with prayer and let most of that prayer be just sitting quietly and listening. If you fall asleep, eh, it's good, but pray. If you don't know how to pray, I would recommend that you recite the Lord's Prayer just to get you started. You're going to learn a lot about praying through the Lord's Prayer. And the great thing about the Lord's Prayer is it starts with the greatness of God. So start with prayer. Okay, the next thing I would say is to read. Man, if you don't have a Bible, tell me, I'll buy you one, all right? Get a Bible, open it. I know a lot of people who, guys, this is the solve for your money problems. You're going, what? This is the solve for your money problems. A lot of people are going, hey, I I would love to hear God talk to me. Anybody feel that way? Let's be honest. You're like, man, I love God talking to me. Here's what I'll tell you. Get, Get a Bible, right? You know, 
NIV, English Standard, NASB, whatever. I don't care. Whatever version you'll read. Go to your room and read it out loud. That's God talking to you. You hear that? Those words coming out of your mouth? That's the word of God coming to you, trying to teach you and talk to you and show you who he is. He's a God who's trustworthy, who's caring, who's loving, who is just, who is loyal, who is honorable. All right? Read it. All right, number two. Guys, do more. If you want to put a stake in your money idol, do more reflecting and worshiping. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is think back at the ways that God has provided for you. And what I mean by worship is, I don't just mean be thankful. I mean like worship it, like, like worship God out of it, okay? I had some friends in my community and, who've done this thing called a thousand gifts. Anybody ever heard of a thousand gifts? It's basically you buy a journal and every day you just write out things that God has done, right? And you just fill that journal with a thousand ways that God has met needs and cared for you. It is super hard to have a bad eye when you're just spending all the time talking about how God's cared for you and how he's been generous to you. All it makes you want to do is go, gosh, I want to go be generous. I want to be one of the, re- one of the reasons somebody puts a note in their journal. I want to love others. I want to serve others because my God does it for me. So reflect and worship. I, I love worship. I love Shane and Shane. And praise God, have you ever thought about the fact that we live in an era where I can click play on some of the best singers in the world? There was a time where you couldn't do that. How horrible was that time? It's just like you could just get in the car, you're going to work, you could play in the worship, and everything you're reflecting about, you're just like, oh, God, I'm like in my car. Cody people need to see more people parked with their hands off the wheel just worshiping. <laughs> right? Like they need to like pull up to a stoplight and look over and be like, what's that, that gal doing, right? It's just like, oh, you know, bless your name, you know, all that thing. Okay. Hey, this is number three, and this one will surprise you. One of the greatest ways to kill this false God after learning the goodness, graciousness, kindness, and wonder of God, reflecting what he's done for you and worshiping him for it, is to join him in being a giving person. You'll be amazed at what it does when if you are struggling to cling with money, what happens when you turn your hand over and give it away? It's amazing. And I think scripture's right. You, you, guys, you guys hear it. Uh, maybe you don't believe it. But I just, I'd invite you to test it. The Bible says it is better to give than to receive. Um, I know it's to be true. Bonnie knows. I, bon, I'm so sorry for my wife because, or like, I apologize to my wife. She has, like, not gotten a Christmas present on Christmas in our whole marriage. Because, like, if I buy it, like, I'm like, oh, you got it. You got to have it. You got to have it. You got to have it. I just want her to have it. What do you think? What do you think? Do you like it? You like, yeah. I just want to give it to her. Anybody like that? I just like, it's just so fun, you know? Um, so here's what I say, man. If, you, if, you're, if you're kind of a Scrooge, man, and you're, especially if you're a Christian, guys, you need to get in the habit of giving. And this is, not a, this is not a ploy to get you to give to Outpost, all right? It's not at all. It's, it's a ploy to get you to experience the joy that Jesus wants you to have when you join him in being a generous person. And I tell you what, what would happen if your friends in this community, right, they want to go sit down with you at lunch, talk about business and how they make more money and all this, and you're just going, man, honestly, we sat down as a family, and we decided we're just going to, like, actually give some stuff away this year. Like, I'm not taking that business deal because I want to be able to spend more time in the morning spending time with Jesus. I want to be able to spend more time giving of my time, talent, treasure to my children and discipling them. I want to give more of my time to serving those in my church and community. You know what? I just actually want to give more of it away than I do want to receive. What, you know what your friends are going to look at you like? Why are you doing that? You're trying to make me feel bad. That's good for you, man. Right? Good for you. But I'll tell you what. It puts, a, it puts a stake in the heart. So, guys, I want to invite you to give, man. Give generously. Give to where it hurts. All right? This is, this is me not commanding you. This is me inviting you. I think Jesus has, is right, and he has something on the other side of the death of your false god of things. He's got something on the other side. So you're invited to find out if Jesus is right or if he's wrong. Amen? All right, guys, we're going to pray, and you're going to get out and get after it, and um, I love you guys.
next week, we're going to be finishing up this series. Two Sundays from now, we've got a family Sunday, which means our kids are going to be in here. I don't know how we're going to do it. It's going to be a fire hazard having all those people in here. Um, and then we're going to launch into going through the book of Matthew, which I'm very excited about. You guys excited about that? It's going to be good, man. Buy you, some, Tony bought like a Matthew commentary, didn't you? Do that, man. You should be fact-checking everything I say. Right? But just be careful. That's why he bought it. Just be careful about how you email it. That's all I'm saying. I got a, I got a heart, but um, let me pray for us. And Chet's coming up. Are you going to background me? Are you going to sing? All right. We are going to You all want to sing? We got a lot to be thankful for. Why don't you all stand up? Lord, thank you so much. Um, you have been incredibly kind. It's through the generosity of a man who has been blessed financially who owns this property. It's through your generosity to him that we have this place. And I know, I pray that you bless him. And we thank him for allowing us to be in here to put the church back in a building. We thank you, God, for your word, which was generously and wonderfully passed down through men and women who had to die to translate it so that we English-speaking people could have it. What a gift. Thank you, Jesus, for the, the men and women who donated to make it possible to have sound equipment so our voices could go further and meet more people. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for the friends who were generous, gave us places to sit that are safe. Thank you, Jesus, for the children you've given us, the food on our tables, the friendships that we have. Thank you most of all, Jesus, that you love us. But if you care about birds, if you care about flowers, if you care about grass, you've got to care about us. Thank you that you do. And uh, Lord, we're going to sing up, a, lift up a song of praise to you. To you be the glory. I pray for a moment. We'll just forget those people even around us and just worship and go into this community as men and women, shepherds, pastors, friends, missionaries, ready to be a completely different kind of person for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.